How do we feel about surprises? I'm not a big surprise guy. I kind of like Wild Art 2-0. Undefeated season on the line. Someone said to me earlier today that they will give their face story when a Minnesota team, a male Minnesota team, because I'm like, well, the Lynx have already won, a male Minnesota team wins a national championship. So the Wild, I'm looking at you next fall. We're going to be doing it. Okay, I hate surprises, right? Not all the time, but most of the time, I hate surprises. I kind of want to go like, what's going to happen, like in the movies? A friend of mine really likes movies. He's a guy that I work with. He loves them much more than I ever will. And he'll be describing to me a movie and then stop. And I'm like, well, what happens next? He's like, oh, I don't want to spoil the surprise. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm probably not going to watch the movie anyway. I'm not, even if I do, I want to know what's going to happen. I've been even known to read the end of a book before I finish the book. The other night, before Anna left us, we, the three of us, are watching Little Women. You've seen this show? It, it'll destroy you. It'll absolutely mess you up. Louisa May Elcat, okay, the version with Meryl Streep, Laura Dern, the chatty little actor from Harry Potter, Emma Watson, thank you very much, Florence uh, Pugh, the sublime Ms. How do you pronounce her first name? Sersha Ronan. It rhymes with inertia. It's spelled like S-A-I-O-R-S-C or something like that, but it's pronounced Sersha, Ronan, okay. And then, and I ask, okay, I ask, okay. We're about an hour into the show. I'm like, does Beth die? Plays by Eliza Scanlon. Eliza Scanlon. I'm like, does Beth die? They're like, you have to watch the end of the show. I'm like, I don't want to watch to the end of the show. I want to know right now. I'm already ugly crying, okay? If it gets any worse, I'm going to have to call a friend, start an IV so I can stay properly hydrated. Tell me. <laughs> Tell me. Does Beth die? Anna's watched this movie, in her words, too many times to count, probably at least once a month since it came out. She can give you the nuances of the lighting, okay? Because actually the film is actually two movies at once that collide at the end with a kiss, and she won't tell me. I hate surprises. Text today, page 1005. Again, like Eric questioned, not questioned like question, but asked the question last Wednesday night when talking about the book of Judges. When we come to the text, who, who is the main character? I mean, when we talk about a book like the book of Judges, which you're doing on Wednesday night, I recommend if you can't catch it live, you can catch it online. Who, who's the main character, right? Is it the people? Is it the story? Is it, it shouldn't be a surprise, right? And likewise today, who is the main character? It's not the people. It's not the old covenant. It's not even the new covenant. It's God. And even though we're in this cycle right now in Hebrews of where it seems like we're repeating these similar concepts again and again and again, what does the text tell us about God? Of God narrating, describing what God will do to provide an opportunity for more people to know about God. It's part and parcel with the promise given to Abraham you should have found it in your blue Bibles by now. Verse 8. Everything up to this point, it's just fluff. This is where it really matters. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, 
And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. It's basically a direct quote. The people of God. A direct quote coming out of Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. It's on page 660. And the context of understanding this is the context of understanding the book of Jeremiah and what Jeremiah is doing in those chapters. And what he's doing is relaying the words of God spoken to the people of God, the nation of Israel at that time, and saying, hey, good things are around the corner. The problem is that they're still in the soup, more like a La Brea tar pit. People like to quote Jeremiah 29 and 11, right? Most people don't know the context of Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the plans for you, okay? That, we even sang it. It was part of one of the songs that we sang earlier today, Okay. Most people are like, oh, what a cool verse. Yes, a super cool verse. God knows the plans that he has for us. But the context is they're about to go into some really, really ugly times. There's going to be an exile for a while. The context is dark. It's a context of being in exile, being far from the land that they want to be in. And the immediate context of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 it is this promise of hope, right? Because up until this point, the sins of fathers have often been visited on the children. And into that soup, into that La Brea tar pit, the promise of hope comes, and the promise of hope that has always been forefront of God's mind. The promise of the exiles returning home. The promise of moving beyond sin and its effects. The hope of this, that this gets to be reclaimed by God as God's place of residence. And it's not just the context of Jeremiah or the context of Hebrews. This hope has always been in play. The eternal hope of the exiles returning home. This is something that has not yet happened in all of its eschatological glory, which is a fancy way of saying we ain't in heaven yet. And this place won't ever be heaven until the end of all things. That yes, we can work to make this place better, but it will never be good, great, perfect. I don't know what the right word is. And sometimes in, 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 in moments where I just tear my hair out, we become what, what we hate in order to make the world better. And I'm like, how can that work? And it's not that we live in this state of gloom or doom or frustration. But I wish we could convince ourselves of this. How I wish we could understand that all that we see is a shadow of that which is to come. And our hope 
is in that future, not in this current existence. Our, our hope is not in self or personal freedom or wealth or health or, or, or name it. Our, our hope is in a daily posture of obedience. Do we live do we live with a daily sense of how can I be obedient to the call of God on my life? D- daily. How can I have a daily posture of saying, because I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I will live as a servant. I will deny self and what self wants and replace it with what the Spirit wants. How I yearn for that in my own life. How I yearn for that in our lives. How I celebrate it when I see that those little bits and pieces and and sometimes big bits and pieces in my life, in our lives, when we align our lives with the Savior who gave His. The context for Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 8 to 13, is the hope of a future. It's a direct quote from Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. There are some departures, both in the temporal sense of the exact words don't match up. If you want to keep a figure on each page, page 660 and page 1050, you can if you want. Verse 9 says, do not continue in my covenant. Verse 32 in Jeremiah says, um, my covenant that they broke. There's another departure between verse 10 and verse 33. I will put my laws into their minds versus I will put my law within them. Verse 11 and 34, And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each his brother, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother. And then in 12 and 34, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities and will remember their sins no more, versus I forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. They're really distinctions without a difference. The departure is the reality of the fact that the people have walked away from God. In both ways, intentional and unintentional. And the problem that the book of Hebrews is attempting to address is how do we solve this problem? What God is demonstrating himself doing is providing a solution to the reality of a people who so frequently walk away. Verses 8 through 9, what has been? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Okay, so what has been is the prophecy of a new covenant, the future hope that this reality will exist. There is this history of God's faithfulness. And please understand, it's not just words to a song that we sing like we just sang. This history of God's faithfulness, when he literally grabbed him by the hand and said, hey, you don't belong in Egypt anymore. And this happens, right, in our daily basis, right? It happens in our life when God's like, why do you want to continue there? Follow me. Be be engaged with me. Embrace what I have for you that the careful observer of their lives looks at these moments in time where they see the fingerprints of God all over their lives. 
what has been was that there was an old covenant that was not followed. Years where the laws of God recorded in scrolls were left to gather dusk. Was that the hope of God? No. Was that the intent of God? No. But it's what the people and the leaders of the people did. Fairness to the old covenant, because we can be critical of the old covenant, it's so easy to walk away from God. We have an Old Testament that basically describes people's propensity to walk away from God. We see it in our own lives. I see it in my own life. It's so easy to walk away from God. What has, ha- what has been? And with that reality, a faithful God saying, okay, okay, go, go off on your own. Not up to the task of following me? Okay, okay. And we must never forget that God is willing to respect even the foolish decisions that humans make. What has been and what will be. Verses 10 through 12. For this is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. If you hear nothing else today, hear this last verse, perhaps even commit it to memory. God saying, For I will be merciful to their iniquities, I will remember their sins no more the promise of forgiveness, the promise of freedom. If you're thinking, like I think sometimes, I'm like, okay, God, if, if this is the way you want it to be, in a, in a state of really kind of perfection, in kind of this beautiful spot, why wouldn't you just start there? I mean, why wouldn't you just, why, why did it take like 8,000 years to get to this point? I mean, why wouldn't you just start there? And people are like, oh, wow, I never thought of that. Why wouldn't you just start here? Why wouldn't you start with a better way? Why wouldn't you start with a perfect way? Why wouldn't you start here? But we forget that he did. He did. Genesis chapter 1, God creates, right? And he creates and he creates and he creates and he creates and he describes it as good. And it's not like good, like good enough. It's like good. It's like it's the best it could be. And then humans messed it up. And I'm not quite sure how the brain of God works. I'm not, I'm not sure theologically how to sort this all out. But I know that in the wake of, of humans messing things up, and humans have an amazing capacity to mess things up, God always provides a way of redemption. God always wanting more for his fallen, created order. And allowing the time necessary for this grand narrative that has provided ample opportunity for people of every age to come. You might want to define exactly what God knew and when he knew it. Fine, I, 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 got, I have no problem with that. I find no fault with that. But don't miss the mystery. 
of God intersecting with humankind, intersecting with us on an individual basis through our lives, through our experiences, and the tapestry of what we do in this room of how God has brought us together is mind-blowing. And God is continually in our face, in our space, saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. And to the most passionate that exists in this room, to the most dedicated, to the most loyal, God says, yes, continue to follow me. And if you're just starting out, God says, today, follow me. And if you've pushed God away for a long time, if you're like, well, I had this bad thing happen to me 40 years ago and I really don't have time for God. God's like, yeah, I know that bad thing happened to you. I saw it. We live in a world that's full of bad things happening to good people. And I'm asking you to follow me. Because we have a God who wants nothing more than to engage with us in a profound and real way today. There's some things here that probably are worthwhile to untangle. For this is the covenant, okay, an agreement, right, that I will make with the house of Israel. Now, this is like, okay, who is the house of Israel, okay? Is this ethnic Israel, okay? Is this the nation of Israel, okay? Because really the nation of Israel in the first century really doesn't exist. It's really been taken over by Rome, right? So there's not this national identity. So then you're like, okay, you fast forward. Is it the nation of Israel today? You're like, okay, or is it a metaphor for spiritual Israel? Certainly, we don't have all of the answers to these questions, but we've landed on this reality of the people of God that when the Bible speaks of the house of Israel, they're speaking of those individuals who are authentically following God with their lives, irrespective of the blood that courses through their veins. The laws into their minds, writing them on their hearts. A new way, a, a pathway, not just described, but trailblazed by Jesus. That the laws of God are, are, are lived out on a daily basis. The, the thoughts of God are inherent in the individual. That it's no longer a case of people needing to teach other people. I once had an instructor who said, hey, I can't teach you anything that you don't already know. Maybe some nuances. I don't need to teach you that God's here. I can, I can point you to this. This is as accessible as anything. We, we, we know. I don't need to be continually reminded like I'm discovering something brand new. I do need to be continually reminded because it's so easy for me personally to forget that God is known here, that God is known here. And the text ends with the reality, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. If you've never known the forgiveness of God, please, 
the one thing that is critical for you to access today, the one thing that if I could inscribe it into your body would be this, to know that whatever exists in the past does not have to define our future. that God forgives and is in the business of forgiving and is in the business of redemption. In the business of forming relationship with us for eternity. Beth does die. Oh, and it's a show that'll mess up with you, right? It just destroys you. Especially when you're thinking about your little girl going to school, and all of a sudden you're like, I mean, like it was hard, right? I, now you've been on this journey with me a little bit, and some of you are like, okay, enough about you being empty nesters. Are you complaining or bragging? Both. Both. It's awesome, and yet it's brutal. And when Will went, it was brutal. And now, and it's just like, I'm like, so we're watching this, and she dies, and I'm just like, because oh, I've not read Little Women. I probably should. I probably will. I haven't. It's absolutely heart-wrenching, just ugly, body-heaving tears. Jesus dies. It's no surprise. Jesus dies. And it's equal parts heart-wrenching because he died for me. He died for us. He died for humans. He, he died before we showed any potential. And if you're one of those old school cats who are like, well, I'm not going to help someone else until they show some potential. <laughs> Christ died for you before you showed any potential. So just frame that inside of your brain just a little bit. And I say it's equal parts heart-wrenching because I don't want us to lose sight of the fact Jesus died for me. And he suffered horribly for me. But no surprise, the story doesn't end there. It's absolutely heart-soaring for those who are found in relationship with the resurrected Lord. And, and that our hope is not in this life. It is not in these frail bodies. It is not in the torment of our past or the sins that we've done or the things that have been done to us or the experiences that we've had. It's not in us just being who we are. That's just who I am, so I might as well just be who I am. That's stupid. That's no way to live life. And into that human experience, God shows up in a huge way and says, there is a better way, a new covenant. 
characterized by the mercy of God. Characterized by the grace of God. Please pray with me. Oh, how I hope you know Jesus Christ. Oh, how I hope we are found in him. And if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ in a vibrant way, celebrate, celebrate the grace and mercy of God in your existence. And if you're here today and you've never really started that relationship, maybe even been a little bit defiant in the face of a holy God, maybe living in exile far too long, come on, come back. Introduce yourself to the Savior.